Guys, you know how lucky you are, right, that you get to do this for school this week? Like, that's ridiculous. Um, well, hey, like Russ said, my name's TJ. I'm a pastor down in San Diego, and you might be thinking to yourself, oh, San Diego, bra, do you surf, bra? And the answer is I tried, and then I almost drowned, but I'm not really from that part of San Diego. I'm from, <laughs> I'm from the part where, like, like, I have two little boys, and they have mullets, you know what I mean? I'm from the part where, like, there was a rattlesnake on our porch, and I didn't want it to bite anybody. So I shot it, and then we cooked it and ate it for dinner, and then I skinned it, and then I made it into a beautiful hat band for my wife. We're from, like, the backcountry part of uh, San Diego. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. We got any, any hillbillies in here? That's what, that's what we say, just so you know. Well... As I should, I love my family. They're incredible. They're hilarious. Uh, and actually, we, I have a picture of them. Here, here's, uh, yeah, we do this thing every Halloween where we all dress up as the same thing. Last year, we were Chewbacca. And guys, we don't know what we're going to be this year. If you, if you have an incredible idea at, week this, at camp this week, would you just come up and be like, TJ, I know what you're supposed to be for Halloween. you got to let me know if you have a brilliant idea, okay? Because we haven't decided yet. It's time to order Halloween costumes. Boom. Um, but hey, that's enough about me, okay? This week, we get the opportunity to use this ridiculous and awesome theme of pawn order to help us better understand the book of John. And I just want you to picture this for a minute, okay? Because the guy who's writing John has one of the coolest nicknames in the entire Bible, in my opinion. Him and his brother were known as the, the Sons of Thunder, Right, Buddy the Barker, huh? You can see what they did there? And John, when he's writing this book, he's like an old, withered, leathery, wrinkly, probably curled over man with a cool beard. Like he has lived his full life. This guy has seen insane things. It's like 85, 90 AD when he's writing. And he, he's walked with Jesus. He's had his mind blown by Jesus every single day. He's been beat up a bunch of times. He's experienced crazy, amazing things. And now that he's at the end of his life, He's going to write the most important things that he's aware of to pass on. And in John chapter 20, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read this to you. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he's going to tell us what those things are. This is what he says about the book that he's writing. He's saying, this is why I wrote it. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so he sets himself, this old man, to write this book because he thinks the most important thing that he could possibly pass on to you is this, that there is a God. And he's not distant. He wants to be known by you. And so he makes himself available. And the way that John is going to present this to you and me, as we'll see this week, is it's kind of like a court case, right? He's, it's like you guys are the jury, and he's going to go, all right, here's the evidence, here's the facts, here's the eyewitness accounts. Now you have all the info, and you can do what you're going to do with it. And I imagine in my weird brain that among you there's like one kid. Let's, let's name him. Let's say his name is Trey. What's up, Trey? I apologize. Everybody say, what's up, Trey? Yeah, and you know what? Trey is what we call an antagonist. You know what he would say at this point? He'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. TJ, he would interrupt me, right? He'd be like, you just, did you just tell me seriously that what we're going to spend our time doing is looking at facts, evidence, court case type stuff? You know that I'm a junior higher, right? That sounds boring and terrible, if I'm honest. 
And you know what? He would keep talking. He'd be like, I didn't come to him for that stuff. I came to him because I'm trying to live the junior higher American dream. You know, I'm trying to hang out with my friends in the forest. I heard there's really good milkshakes here. Maybe I'm going to flirt with a girl and even kiss her. America. Yeah. Yo! And hey, listen, your guys, you, your guys' reaction was appropriate. You're so civilized. You're like, Trey, cool your jets, man. <laughs> we are angels. That is not what we are here for, all right? Chill your beans, bro. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. Someone said, chill your beans, bro. That was, hey. He's, oh, you're famous, dude. You're famous. <laughs> Thanks, Trey. And I would tell you that the stuff that we get to talk about this week is not only not boring, it's the most mind-blowingly important thing that we could dedicate ourselves to with the time we have together. This topic of truth is so important because what you believe about truth affects every part of your life for your entire life. Let me say that again. What you believe about truth whether something is true or not. This is true, that is not. Relative truth, absolute truth, how truth works. What you believe about truth will affect every part of your life for your entire life. And God cares about this. He wants you to understand that if you have a wrong view of truth, it will hurt you, it will frustrate you, and it will confuse you. But if you can engage while we spend our time together, if you can bring yourself to a right view of truth, it will help you, guide you, and make you stronger. This is the best way I could describe it, okay? Um, truth, the way that it's handled today, is like new. It's different. This is not the way it's been forever, right? Back in the day, if you had like two people arguing, one guy would be like, no, you're wrong, and I'm right, and I'm going to prove to you why. And then he would like, you know, give all the reasons why he thinks he's right. And then the other person would be like, no, you're wrong, and I'm right, and I'll show you why. All right? But today, it's like you're not allowed to say that anyone else is wrong. In fact, I think it's worse than that. It's like you're not even allowed to believe that someone else is wrong. If you just take the way that thought is supposed to work as it's given to you, you're supposed to believe that every single person is somehow right. And not just right, but that they get to have their own truth. And not just have their own truth, but they get to make their own truth. As if, if I want something to be true desperately enough, it will become true for me, right? Or if I, if I believe it deep enough in my soul, I can just make it true, okay? I want to give you an example of why this, this would be great, but it's simply not the way that the world works. It's not real life. I have a friend. Can we show a picture of the guy? Here's the guy, okay? This is my friend. Oh, he's so regal. Do you see the silver in his hair, right? The Bible says if you have silver in your hair, you're like, you're like wise. This guy works at church with me. He's got a wife and kids, and he's super nice. Like, he's, he's just a good guy, you know? And he's 43, and he believes that Bigfoot is real. And some of you guys are like, ooh, cool. Listen, my point, you guys, is that he's wrong. There is no Bigfoot, okay? And whenever I go up to places like him, when I'm in the forest, he'll, like, come up so excited that he's shaking, like, TJ. Ah, ah, if you see Bigfoot, you have to take a picture for my documentation. It's so important. And I'm like, okay, buddy. Woo. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. And some of you might be listening to me right now going, TJ, 
You're such a jerk. Why would you make fun of your friend like that? Listen, he's not hurting anybody. If believing in Bigfoot is what makes him happy, then let him have it. That's his truth. And if, if that were the way that all of this stuff worked, there were no real consequences, it didn't hurt anybody, I would agree with you. I'd say, okay, yeah, who cares? That's fine. I don't need to meddle in this business. But the problem is the ideas we believe have consequences. And some of them may be small. Lots of them are big. And remember, wrong views on truth hurt us, frustrate us, and confuse us. And that's not what God wants for us. Let me take you to a further extreme. I want you to imagine if we finished chapel tonight, all of you guys scampered, skipping happily back to your cabins. We were so happy, right? And then, yeah. and then this guy comes booking it up the hill in his car. Because he's got an important message and he just tells me. And he pulls in here and it's just me and him. And he's like, TJ, I have unlocked my true potential. I've been reading all these self-help books. I've been meditating. Guess what, man? I, can, I believe this to my core. I know that it's true. I can fly. And I don't mean like with planes and stuff, dude. I didn't get my pilot's license. I can fly. Now listen, if everybody got their own truth and could make their own truth and said, I believe this so it's true. I feel it so it's true. I want this so it's true. Well, if that's the way the world works, then the way that I should be a supportive friend is as this guy starts climbing to the top of the building to prove to me that he can fly, I should be shouting things like, live your truth. If it feels right to you, do it, right? But now the tide is kind of turned and you're realizing if I were to shout those things at him, well, he's on the roof of this building, I would be a disgusting human being. I'm, I'm telling him to basically like mortally wound himself, right? That's not a good friend by allowing him to believe those things that patently aren't true, right? And if I said, do what your heart says is true, and then slow motion, right? He just, I believe I can, oh! And like a water balloon, he just smacks and pops onto the ground and his blood and his guts and his bones just splatter all over the place. Yeah! Do you know what you would think about me? You would think, TJ, you are a reprehensible friend. How could you allow this to happen? And guys, the reason I'm messing around with this abstract idea right now at all is to say this. This is the key. Realize it doesn't matter how hard this guy believes his truth. Does it have any effect on the truth of gravity? No, it doesn't matter how hard he wants gravity to be different for him. It doesn't change what's true. What does this mean for you and I? It means it doesn't matter what our preferences are, what offends us, what we long to be true. If it's not true, it's not. And if it is true, it is. The point is, truth does not come from people. It doesn't come from humanity. Truth is decided and set by something bigger than us, higher than us, more powerful than us. And this old man, John, at the end of his life, what he's going to start his book with writing is saying, and we get to know the one from whom truth comes. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1. And when you get there, please go, yee yeah, yeah. Oh, look at you Bible scholars. This is fantastic. Yay, yay. John chapter 1, verse 1. Now listen, you guys, you guys are different. You're coming from Christian schools, which means I assume you are like scholastic level Bible scholars, okay? You are, you are studying this stuff like pros. So if you write in your Bible, I'm going to invite you to maybe underline or circle a couple things. Let's read. Here we go. 
It says, in the beginning was the word. You notice how that word is capitalized? That's going to be a very special word for us. Whatever you do, highlight, circle, underline, do that with that word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. Now let's go back to our buddy Trey. You know what he'd be saying right now? <laughs> what? God's name is word and in the wind, the what? The, that doesn't even make sense, dude. That's so confusing and dumb. What are you even saying? And I don't know if these words fall flat on you, but what I want to help you understand is that to the people that John was writing, this was an absolute mic drop, mind bomb moment. The words that he's using are very special to the people that he's talking to. For us, we just see capitalized W word. For them, in their language in Greek, what they heard was logos, which is this awesome word that like if I had a dragon, that's what I would name it. You know what I mean? Like logos. Doesn't that sound cool? You know what I mean? Don't say no, you little sassy lady over there. I heard that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Hey, raise your hand if you guys are a nerd. Is anybody a nerd in here? I am a nerd. I think that's, I think that's a great thing. If you're willing to go nerd level with me on this, please say, yep. All right, well, here we go. Let's do it. Here's why this word is so special to the people who were alive in John's time. There were a group of people, the Greeks, and they had their philosophers, and one of their philosophers' name was Heraclitus. Everybody say, Heraclitus. Heraclitus. And Heraclitus was saying fancy, smart things like this. He would say, do you notice that there's change in everything that we experience in the world? Even us sitting here, there's imperceptible change all the time. For you, you might not feel it or realize it at the moment, but your hair is growing, your fingernails are growing. As a kid, your bones are growing, you're getting taller. Right now, it's so subtle, but there's so much change happening in you. Some of you, your mustaches are growing, you know what I'm saying? For the adults of us in the room, we're also in constant change. For us, though, it's that our spines are compressing and our skin's getting thinner and more wrinkly and easily damaged and we're one step closer to death, you know what I mean? But Heraclitus would go further and he would say, it's not just on a small scale. Changes everywhere all the time. Like at any given point on this planet, there's, there's giant gusts of winds that are toppling trees. There's volcanoes erupting. There's waves that are doing massive damage. And even things that are just cyclical and normal like the seasons. You have rain, which becomes snow, which becomes heat. And all these plants are growing, just right leaves and grass and trees just growing everywhere. And then fall comes and the leaves drop and everything's dead. And then it's cold and then snow comes again and it's changed, changed, changed. And all this is happening on this lump of a planet while it's hurtling at a bajillion miles an hour around this exploding fireball called the sun just and Heraclitus would say think about all of this change and disorder and chaos there has to be something holding all of this together and keeping it from exploding on itself that that all-powerful thing that has to be there is the logos but there were also people, to other people, who this word was special to them in a different way. The Jewish people, they also valued this word logos. And for them, it was the understanding. They would think to themselves, 
Remember back in Genesis 1? Remember what we read about when God created everything, the first day, second day, you know, through the six days of creation? It would have been stuff that they grew up hearing as little kids. The way that they learned the alphabet was, was through reading these stories, having them read to them. And all of them would have been aware that the way that God created, in all his power, he was speaking, right? I mean, he would literally say, let there be light. And I don't know if like a laser beam came out of his mouth, like, but by simply speech, stars are exploding into existence in the darkness. Planets are coming to be. Giant land masses are erupting out of the water on the earth. Mountains are forming, right? By mere speech, God is creating. And so for the Jewish people, what they understood Logos to be was the powerfully creative expression of the God Almighty. And so for both of these groups, the Logos was the most powerful being that has ever existed, responsible for them being able to exist, but distant and far. And the truth that John is going to blow these people's minds with is he's going to say, that thing, Logos, I'm going to show you what's true about him. And again, let's go back to, let's go back to Trey. Trey's over here rolling his eyes like, oh, really? God said banana, and there's bananas. That's what you believe? That's where everything came from? Are you kidding me, man? That is so far-fetched. I can't believe you guys believe that stuff. And you know, at this point, I wouldn't actually mock our friend Trey. I would say, you know what? Many of us have doubt or become skeptics, or you're just a critical thinker, and you should make sure that what you believe actually makes sense. And so what I'd like to do with you tonight is if you have ever thought that the creation account of the Bible, this logos, all-powerful God being responsible for everything that we can see, taste, touch, and smell, if that has ever felt far-fetched to you, I, I want to help you consider the alternatives. Can we do that? Okay. Well, there, there's a guy, he's a, he's a world-renowned biologist. He's one of the foremost thinkers of today in the scientific community. His name is Dr. Richard Dawkins. And Dr. Richard Dawkins is famous among his accolades and accomplishments for hating the God of the Bible. He's an atheist. He doesn't believe that God is the source where everything came from. And he, when asked, where does all life come from? Do you know what his answer was? He said, I believe aliens came down and put the seeds of life on earth. And then from those seeds of life came the first multicellular molecule, which became something like a sea slug, which became like a fish with legs that then crawled up on the earth, which became a monkey, which became a you. I'm just saying, if we're talking about far-fetched things... Woo, right? And this isn't something that some wackadoo in left field believes. This is a popular alternative to the idea of the Logos. Let me give you another guy. This guy, his name is Dr. Michael Ruse. He is currently, to this day, a professor at Florida State University, and he teaches the philosophy of biology. He is currently writing collegiate-level textbooks. And he, when asked, where do you think all life came from, his answer actually sounds really smart. He said, well, I believe that inorganic crystalline structures piggybacked on other inorganic crystalline structures, creating the first organic molecule. And you go, all right, well, maybe that sounds so smart I don't understand it. Maybe that's true. But let's decode it, okay? Inorganic means not alive. Crystalline structure is like, like that's what salt is. Like this is like a piece of salt went, hey, buddy, hop on. And he gave another one a piggyback ride. And then everything that is alive today, that's where it came from. 
Are you kidding me? Like, like I'm just saying, in, in my attempts at being objective and critically thinking, I think it takes more faith to believe that everything that we experience and see and touch and enjoy in this life came from something other than God or a nothing, right? No, there is a logos. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 will say it this way. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. This means what we experience and observe around us is proof in and of itself that there is a God. Like, guys, when I drive into Hume and I see these massive trees and how beautiful this is, you can't convince me that all of this beauty is here on accident with no purpose, with no value, and with no meaning. When I think about perfectly seasoned tri-tip that's been on the smoker for six hours and it falls apart in your mouth, you're going to tell me that exists for no reason? No, that is good. That's incredible. That's, I'm enjoying this, right? You know that moment when you're with your friends and it's too late and for whatever reason you all get the giggles and you're laughing so hard you can't breathe and then you're laughing so hard that you feel like you're almost going to pee your pants? That's the best. That just exists on accident? I don't think so. Or let me give you this. We have a, a picture here. This is a professional rendering of a, of a beetle. I drew this for you. Yeah, thank you. This is the bombardier beetle. Have you heard of this? Yes? Okay, let's show them a real picture of it. Guys, this little guy has a flamethrower attached to its butt, okay? Like a turret. And it can just point it at anything. And it has these two glands in its body, each holding a toxic chemical. And when these chemicals mix in its little turret outside its body, they create a chemical combustion hotter than boiling water. And it doesn't just shoot it like a spray, like a Windex bottle, like ee. This thing shoots jets of molten hot chemical fire pulsating at hundreds of pulses a second, just what you're looking at is this thing flamethrowering at this guy's tweezer. Let's go next picture. This is a this is a still frame of a video you can watch on YouTube. This frog tried to eat that beetle, and the beetle went, Oh, I have a flamethrower. And he burned the frog's insides. And then the frog had to spit him out. You're going to tell me <laughs> that incredible thing just exists for no reason, on accident, for no purpose, no value, no meaning? No. I think God put that here to blow our minds. He's like, he's like talking to the angels in heaven, like, guys, wait till they find the beetle. <laughs> you know what I mean? <sighs> it's incredible. No, there is a logos. The created world around us proves that there is a God. And if there's not, I want you to think how bleak this is. It doesn't just have implications on the world around us. It has implications for you and I. If there is no all-powerful God, you and I have no purpose, no value, no meaning. We're nothing more than accidents. What happens in our life is inconsequential. It doesn't matter if we live or die or do something good or do something bad. None of it matters. But the great thing is that's not true. From the world we see around, from everything we've covered so far, we have evidence in front of us to understand that's not the truth of our world. I want to read you a verse. This is uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 19. Just listen to this. It says, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare 
what is right. I'm not just telling you that it's true that God exists. I'm telling you that God is true and he's the source of truth, right? Whatever is set in truth, our morality, gravity, all of these things, they are true because God is the source. He's the one who made them true. And in all of his power as Logos, he is not content to just exist in the cosmos distant and terrifying to us, right? What we read next in the, in, back in our passage in John chapter 14 is what this Logos wants with us. John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The reason this is crazy, you guys, is because it's one thing to go, God is big and awesome and kind of terrifying and cool. It's another to say, and he became flesh to dwell among us. And he wants to be with you. And then it's a whole other thing to understand how he comes. This says that he comes full in grace and truth. What that means for you and me, is think about the condition we find ourselves in if we're honest. When we're insecure, when we fail, when our sin makes us feel gross and dirty and shame and guilt, when we feel unloved by other people, excluded, when we, when we don't like who we are, this tells us that the Logos shows up full of grace, all of the grace that you and I need. He is capable forever to fill us up with all of the grace that we need. And when you and I think about the questions that we should be asking about our life, why, why am I here? I get one life. What is the best way that I could spend my life? What is the most satisfying, valuable thing that I could do? Well, the great news for us is that the Logos exists. He holds this thing all together in order. He comes to dwell on earth, and he shows up full of truth. He has all those answers, which we don't just care about answers. We have the answers in him of what is the best thing to do with a life. What should I be? Where should I go? What should I care about? What should I, right? He is full of grace and truth. And here's the thing, you guys. When he was telling this to the Greeks and the Jewish people that he was talking to, do you understand that they would have had to pick their jaws up off the ground? For them, they would have gone, what did you just say? The Logos is here? The, the powerful, creative aspect of God is here? The one who holds all the chaos in order is here? And for you and I, you know what we do? <laughs> we go, yeah, duh, it's Jesus. Let's go take a nap. That's it. Like, it's not remarkable to you. And guys, here's the problem. As we're talking about truth, I don't think you have a full grasp of truth if that doesn't cause awe in you. You may have an incomplete understanding of Jesus if this doesn't blow your mind. And I'm not, I'm not trying to talk down to you or be rude to you. I have had this true in my own life. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, in summers I would go hang out with, at my grandma's house for a couple weeks. And they would go to their old person church. And they would drop me off at Sunday school at the old person church. And I remember one time in particular, I'm sitting in Sunday school. And the Sunday school teacher gets all the kids together. And she goes, boys and girls, Jesus loves you very much. Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven with him. And everybody raised their hand except me. And like the blood left the teacher's face. And she went white as a ghost. And she was like, uh... Timothy, that's my name, why don't you want to go to heaven? <laughs> and I was like, 
Because that sounds boring. I'd rather go to Disneyland with my grandma. Like if we're being honest, you guys, when you and I think about Jesus, we don't think about Logos. We think about this unimpressive, like, like look at this. My grandma had this picture of Jesus, this painting above her oven. And I remember as a little kid, I didn't know the word Logos, but I remember thinking, whatever Logos, that's not him. This is a Disney princess. Like this is, un, this is unremarkable. Like this guy goes, goes to a salon. He's got silky smooth hair, a little bit of blush, you know, like He's got very kind eyes. He's holding a baby lamb, probably whispering little cute words to it, like, oh, woo, 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 baby lamb. Oh, woo, woo, woo. Right? And guys, when I was in junior high, you know what I knew of Jesus? I knew that he was a very nice man. I knew that verse in the Bible where it said Jesus wept. Aw. And then I knew that, like, these bad guys overpowered him, got the best of him. They tortured him and, and killed him. And somehow when he died, that ended up in now I have access to forgiveness of sin if I want it. And now every time I sin, it makes him cry. Like, that was the extent of what I knew about Jesus. And, guys, that was so incomplete that it was bordering on just wrong. And as we talk about truth this week, you need to know if Jesus is unremarkable to you. If you have no awe tonight... If this idea of Logos coming to dwell among us and wanting to be with you doesn't blow your mind or at least cause appreciation, you probably have an incomplete view of God. This is the best way I could show this to you. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Here's what it says. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And guys, that's not where this verse stops. But for many of us, that's where our theology stops. How crazy is it that you base, you and I sometimes, we base our respect and our obedience to the eternal God on this 33-year little sliver of time when he was on earth. He's the Logos. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He was there in the creation. That's what John told us in John 1. And we're going to take these 33 years when the Bible clearly tells us he limited himself. He humbled himself. He did not put on display the fullness of all his power as God. And yet we're going to use that to define our God. You guys, if you're taking notes, you should write this down. A small view of God causes a small faith. A small view of God causes small motivation to obey. A small view of God causes big sin to run rampant in your life and cause you to feel guilt and shame. And a small view of God means you don't even feel like a Christian. You're at least not benefiting from the things that God has for you. Jesus is the Logos. This blew their mind. Because do you know that in Revelation 19, we're given a picture of Jesus in his fully glorified form. We're told that he's dressed in white, riding on a white horse, leading the armies of heaven with eyes like fire and a sword coming out of his mouth to make every wrong right, to strike down the evildoers. This is our God in his full power. This is Jesus. This is love. You don't bow the knee to a Disney princess, it's the Logos. This is how the verse continues. It says, therefore God exalted him, Jesus, 
to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what? Why did the all-powerful Lagos become flesh to dwell among us? Why, did, why do you exist? Why did he create you? Do you know the answer is not because he needed you? God was not lonely and he needed company. God didn't have a bunch of chores to do and he needed more hands to help him. It was much better than that. See, God isn't just the source of grace and truth. First John 4 will also tell us that God is love. He created you and me, not because he needed us, but because he wanted us. Because he, overflowing in his love, said, I just want to lavish my love on you. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. It's like, it's like that heart that a dad or a mom has, right? Like, you don't have a kid because you need him. You're like, I need to have less money and less sleep. Let's have a baby, you know? It's not why you do it. Mom and a dad have a kid because they go, we just want to love them. We want to give our love to our baby, and we're so excited to interact with them and experience their love in this relationship. That's why you exist. It's not because there's rules you're supposed to follow. It's not because there's something that you have to do, otherwise you're going to get It's God, the Logos, became flesh, dwelt among us, created you, made this fascinating world because he wanted to give you his love. That's pretty amazing. And if that doesn't cause awe in you tonight, this is my challenge for you. There's something in your way. Maybe it's sin numbing your heart. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you have doubt that you haven't had resolved. Maybe you've allowed this whole Christianity thing just become a routine and white noise in your life. Hear me. It's not a good place to be. It's not where you're supposed to be. And if you're going to spend the time with us each night in here, my challenge for you, every time that we meet, is simply to pray this prayer silently to yourself. God, if there's something you have for me, I'm listening. I want to hear it. I'm ready. Let me pray for you right now. God, we give you this week. We thank you so much that you give us this place, the opportunity, our leaders. God, all of these things, the ways that you lavish your love on us. God, would you get glory in how you bless every single one of these students and leaders this week. Thank you for the way you love us with your word. God, would you put back in our hearts an awe and an appreciation for you and that you came to us.